Well, I do admit, uh, I don't like sitting in the front row. Uh, in fact, I just got some cataract surgery, and I can see 2020, so I can sit back there. See fine. So, anyway, I uh, enjoy the privilege of bringing the message today in James, <clears throat> my favorite book. And uh, looking back, and I noticed that uh, I noticed that uh, that I started this in 2012, and uh, so it's only been six years and four verses, four chapters, or four chapters, yeah. And Lou always said I was slow. And now I believe it. I'm being slow. But uh, I really enjoy this. A while back, I read about a guy who was traveling uh, down a country road one day, and he noticed a, a man that was sitting in his chair while he was hoeing his garden. He thought to himself, how lazy can you get sitting down while you're hoeing your garden? And just then, he took a second look. And he noticed a pair of crutches that were lying on the ground next to this man's chair. What first looked like a case of laziness was now turned out to be just the opposite. Have you ever been guilty of making such a quick judgment yourself? Have you done that? Just to find out later that it was a poor judgment? Because you didn't have the whole picture? Or you didn't have all the facts? You didn't see the crutches? Has anyone ever accused you of being critical or judgmental of others? Or quoted that famous verse that uh, pastors talked about a few times that uh, non-Christians are more familiar with than Christians sometimes. Judge not lest you be judged in Matthew 7.1. Folks, it's one of the easiest habits for us to get into, really is criticizing and judging people. And I always thought that was my gift. But uh, it's I was pretty good at criticizing and judging others. Lou would say amen to that. But uh, it's not a spiritual gift at all. It actually comes from Satan, to tell you the truth. It's It's a bad habit. It's like a cancer. If nothing is done about it, it only gets worse with time and with practice. And after a while, it becomes harder and harder for us to see any good in anyone because we're too busy looking for the bad. But worse yet, it becomes harder and harder for us to see anything wrong with ourselves. So we're quick to judge others. I can't begin to tell you how many times that I've sat and listened to a wife who was pouring out her heart about, quote, unquote, her no-good husband. And while she was talking to me about it or speaking about that, I'm beginning to form a judgment in my mind about this guy. He does sound like a creep, you know, I could say. But just to find out later, after talking to him, that I was wrong in my judgment. There were two sides to this story. Have you ever been guilty of that? Done that. Forgetting that there's two sides of any story. You just form a judgment after hearing just one side. So you criticize, you judge because you don't have all the facts. Why do we do that? 
In this passage of scripture that we want to look at today, James wants to bring to our attention another reason why Christians are having quarrels and conflicts with each other that he says in verse 1 of this chapter, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Now I believe in this two negative, actually pretty negative statements that he says here, these two verses, I think we can see some positive truth here that we can all benefit from. To say to his fellow believers in just these two short verses. So I'm asking you to stand for the reading of God's word, and we're going to look at chapter 4 of James, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother who judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Father, we thank you for your word, as usual, Lord. We thank you, God, that you can speak to each of us. And I believe there's a message for each person here today, as it sure spoke to me when I was getting ready for it. So we pray, O oh God, that we're open to it. And what can we learn about it? What does James want to tell us here? We just pray, God, that we're open for it and we're willing to change, if need be, a habit that we can all get into. We pray, O God, that your Holy Spirit is just speaking to each and every one of us, Lord. Now, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, folks. Well, as you recall, James has already told his readers to be slow to speak. Chapter 1, verse 19. To bridle our tongues, chapter 1, verse 26. So now he seriously urges his readers not to speak against one another, as he says in verse 11. Which is a sin of the tongue, by the way. The last time we spoke about the get backslider in verses 1 through 10. And now James wants to speak to us about the backbiter. Uh, which means to speak evil of someone in their Absence. Let's look at these three simple guidelines for escaping judgment here this morning. <clears throat> Guideline number one, and that is reframe from criticism. Reframe from criticism. I kind of notice the pastor, notice he always has uh, a lot of the time a first letter here of uh, something so we can remember it. And mine's going to be R. Reframe is the first one. Refrain from criticism. Otherwise, stop it. Stop all criticism. And that's tough. That's really hard to do. I can not even get out of the parking lot and I'm criticizing somebody or the pastor or what he said or something. Uh, We're to build up people, not to tear them down, not to tear down one another. To speak in favor of, not against or slandering one another, as the NIV puts it. To speak of only the good qualities of a person. Choosing not to degrade or to slander. To bridle that tongue of ours. 
So I ask yourself this morning, before you speak, is there, is there a, what I'm about to say going to build a person up or is it going to tear him or her down? There's an old saying, I'm sure most of us learned it. If you can't say anything good about someone, don't say it at all. It's all right, but I challenge you to take it one step further. And that is, look for the good quality in that person and speak of that alone. It reminds me of a story that I heard years ago, perhaps you did too, about a town bum, we'll call him Joe. Everybody knew that he was a lazy good-for-nothing, Joe. He was just hard. He was a black eye to the community. Well, one day, old Joe died, and uh, to the relief of many people. So some ladies in that town got together, and they decided they would visit their friend, Betty, and tell her the good news. Betty had a reputation of uh, always saying something good about someone, everyone that she met. She would pick out the good quality. So they went to her door, they knocked at her door, and they told her the good news. That lazy good-for-nothing Joe just died last night. Betty thought for a a brief moment, and then she said, that's too bad. You know, Joe was one of the best whistlers I've ever heard. We can find something good if we look hard enough and deep enough. You see, this sin of backbiting or slander is common among unsaved people, but obviously it clings to some of us after we've even given our life to Jesus Christ. The definition of slander that I looked up is an out-of-control tongue designed to hurt someone. As a Christian, uh, let's not be guilty of this sin of slander, criticizing, speaking evil of one another. As uh, he says, James says here in verse 11. Guideline number two, restrict your judgment. Restrict means to limit your judgment. Limit it. Judge ourselves and not others. Here's how Jesus put it in chapter 7 of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. You might turn to that. I'm sure most of you are familiar with this, but it doesn't hurt to kind of look at it again. Chapter 7 of Matthew, verses 1 through 7, I'll read to you. I've already told you about the first verse, and you're familiar with it. uh, Verse 1, do not judge lest you be judged. Jesus says this now. For in a way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Excuse me. What Jesus is saying here is pretty clear. Uh, No one is faultless. And the place to start judging or judgment is with self. Start with us. Look in the mirror and take the log out of your own eye before you speak to your brother or sister 
about the speck in theirs, is what he's saying. But there's a problem with a lot of our mirrors, folks. And so when we come to judging ourselves, sometimes we get a distorted view. We come to the place in Christianity where we're blind to our own faults. And in a lot of ways, we should be changing. We should be getting better. 20, 30, 40 years more. Some of us have come to Christ years ago. We should be getting better. But sometimes we become blind to those faults. That's why James took so much time to cover this subject about the mirror back in chapter 1. We should be looking in the mirror of God's word, the word of God. Because God's word has a way of exposing our faults, exposing our sins. Criticism and judgment of our brother or sister is often the result of a high opinion of ourself. Romans 2, Paul says, 2 verse 1, he says, he writes, Therefore, you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment. For in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. When we judge other people, it's usually true that we ourselves are guilty of those same faults, those same sins that we're judging others of. It's really kind of, that's why we can pick them out so easy. Paul goes on in chapter 2 of Romans and he said, You preach against stealing, do you steal? He says, you, you, you who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob temples? And we could even add stuff. You who are preaching against lying, do you lie? You who preach against cheating or speak to other people about cheating, do you cheat? Oh, the list could go on and on. That's what he's getting to. Otherwise, we're pointing out the weak as we point out the weak of other, weakness of others. Are we guilty of that same weakness? So, should we look into our own heart and not judge the hearts and the motives of other people? Because when we judge, we assume the role that is reserved for God alone. First Corinthians chapter five. I think we can all agree. That only God can see the heart. Only God can see the motives behind our actions or our conduct. But is there ever a time when we are to judge a brother or sister who has put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me throw you a curve this morning. It seems like it's baseball season. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I know, too, that most of you are familiar with this, chapter 5, 1 Corinthians. You think James is hard on people? Take a look at this guy. Paul. Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'll read enough here. 1 Corinthians 5, he says, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you. And immorality as such is the kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. And you have become arrogant and have not mourned. Instead, in order that the one who has done this deed might be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, 
be present in spirit, have already judged him, do you see that, who has so committed this as though I were present. And we're going to skip down to verse 9. You, like I say, you're probably familiar with this passage anyway. Verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean the immoral people of this world. Make note of that. Or with the covetous or swindlers or idolaters. or then, For then you would have to go out of the world. Verse 11. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he should... Be an immoral person, covetousness, or idolater, or revival, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. Verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Verse 13. But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Sounds a little rough, doesn't it? Really tough. Uh, now, I want to ask you this morning, is that a contradiction to what James is saying here in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12? I don't think so. Let's take a little further. As I stated, James is, con- is condemning judging our fellow Christians' heart motives uh, for their actions. He's talking judging the inside, what's inside people. Paul is speaking about judging our fellow Christian's conduct or his actions or her actions, the outward, what is seen. Let me use a simple example. I remember years ago, I was up, uh, Lou and I went up to visit Dr. Channer, who had had a stroke. We knew Dr. Channer, and some of you did too. I remember Danny Jones and I sitting in a Bible study under uh, Dr. Channer. Great guy. Christmas Eve that year, I can't remember if it was 2001 or 2000. He had a stroke, and it left him speechless. He couldn't speak, and uh, you couldn't tell if he was paying attention when you were talking to him. And so after he got out of the hospital, which was a long stay in the hospital, making a day. That's fine. No problem. Hang in there. That's fine. Anyway, Lou and I went up and visited Dr. Channer and, uh, after he got home. And, and uh, we were, after that visit with him and Jesse, we were coming home, coming back through uh, right down here, Sand Canyon Road. <clears throat> and I just come in, hit, you know, stopped at the stop sign, went to 395 and started going into town. And all of a sudden, I looked in the rearview mirror and I got a red light. There's a cop pulling me over. And I asked Lou, I remember asking her, didn't I stop at that stop sign? Yeah, I think so. But, you know, we were so engaged in the conversation about Dr. Channer that uh, I didn't know what I'd done wrong. So the cop pulls me over and he says, do you know the speed limit here? And I said, yeah, 25. You know how fast you were going? I said, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. He said, I got you at 38. I'll give you a ticket for 35. I'll give you a break. (laughs) A real break. As he's writing out the ticket. Did he really care what I was thinking or where I was or what the problem? No. I didn't bring it up to him, but he didn't care. He wrote a ticket because of my action. I was speeding. You see, that's what Paul's talking about here. 
judging the action of a believer. You see, the sin Paul is speaking here of, for this believer, he was guilty of incest. In fact, one translation put it this way. He was sleeping with his stepmother. A professed Christian. A member of the church. Paul is coming down on the leaders of that Corinth church for condoning that sin and not condemning it. This sin was not to be swept under the rug is what he's saying here. We can assume that before this action that Paul tells the church to take, we can assume that of removing this, he says he wants to remove, he says remove this man in verse 2 from your fellowship. In verse 5, he says, I'm going to, do you deliver him over to Satan? That's pretty tough in verse 5. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves in verse 13. We can assume that the church has taken the first two steps of discipline that Jesus carefully lays out in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, which I'm sure you're familiar with, that we can assume those steps have already been taken of confronting the man one-on-one in private, Jesus said, and he didn't get any, they didn't get any results. We can assume that they took two or more witnesses the next time to confront the man about him sin, his sin, and they didn't get any results. But it, so it was time for the church to take action, and yet this step had apparently had not been taken, or he would not have remained in the Corinth church. Everyone seemed to know about this man's sin. But nobody seemed to want to do anything about it. He's a fellow, fellow Christian and might be even be, have you read some commentary, might even be a leader in the church. <clears throat> Are the people outside the church or were the people outside the church aware of this man's conduct? Probably. Are the people outside of our church aware of our conduct between Sundays, from Sunday to Sunday? Probably. Probably they know exactly what we're like away from the church, away from the, the uh, handling our Bibles that day from the time we get in the parking lot to afterwards. They probably know about our conduct. Paul goes on to say that we don't have the right to judge the actions of immoral, immoral, of more immoral people excuse me, that are in the world in verse 10. We don't have the right to judge the outsiders, in verse 12. God's job is to judge them, verse 13, he says. But we do have the right to judge those who are within the church, whose conduct is not Christ-like. Clean out the old leaven, he says in verse 7. Does this type of discipline really work? Yes. In the 1970s, in the 70s, a pastor told me in the area that he had exert, uh, exerted some this type of discipline in his church. He says, I went to the, a person, I can't remember if it was a man or a woman. In fact, he said he did it two different occasions, years apart. Went to them and I confronted them about their sin. Hey, and they didn't want to change. Then I took some witnesses with me. They didn't want to change. So then I brought them before the church. They didn't want to change. So I says, more or less, he says, hit the door. And they did. And they left. 
He said one of the two that we disciplined came back to the church a few years later, stood in front of the church and apologized and asked the people to forgive him for his sin. This type of discipline works. It's tough. It's really tough, but it can work. While Christians are not to judge one another's motives, we are expected to be honest about each other's conduct. We have all been acquainted with Christian brothers and sisters whose conduct, whose language, whose behavior is not Christ-like. The question is, what do we do about it? What actions would God want us to do about it? What do you want us to take? Years ago, my oldest daughter had a good friend that was going through some real problems at home. She was only 17 at the time, both of them, really going through some real struggles. And I said, well, you know, the simple answer is to all my problems, all the problems you see, is the Lord. Pretty simple. But I prayed, and I remember fasting about an opportunity. I wanted an opportunity to tell her about Jesus. And the day came when I did have a chance to talk to her. So she was, she was accepting, she give her life to Jesus as the Lord and Savior that day. And, and she was excited, and I was excited. I remember coming home after uh, telling her, and the chills just ran up and down my spine because I had a chance to share Jesus with her. And she was so excited, this is what she wanted. Well, I believe it was only within a year, it might have been two years later, I heard she moved in with her boyfriend. So I found out where she lived, <clears throat> and I went to her place, and, uh, and I confronted her about her sin. And she didn't marry the, kid, the guy and, at that time, which I talked to her about it. And she said, well, don't get me wrong, Jim. She says, uh, I pray all the time. I says, don't, don't waste your time. Those prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. I said, you've got to get right with the Lord. And, and, and I started thinking, you know, you might say, well, that's pretty rough. <laughs> it was rough. But why did I confront her? Because I cared about her. I, I was responsible in a way for her. I'm the one that led her to Jesus. And I really did care. I really loved her. She was a great kid. And, and, and so anyway, uh, I wanted her to get back in fellowship with God. And back in fellowship with other believers. And I knew she was in the darkness, as First John talks about. God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. She was in the darkness when she stepped in that position. She couldn't have fellowship with God or with other believers. And I wanted to put her, have, help her get back into the light. I was asking her more or less, I didn't say the words, but I was hoping she would repent of that sin, change her ways. Maybe pack up her suitcase right then and walk out, but she didn't. Well, that leads me to guideline number three. For the born-again Christian, in order to escape judgment. Refrain from criticism, we've said. Restrict your judgment. Limit your judgment first to yourself, then to the actions of Christians. Number three, rebuke bad conduct. Rebuke bad conduct. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, and I really like this verse. I do highlight my, I heard a pastor last week, he says, you don't mark up his Bibles, mine's are a mess. I mark them and highlight them, and there's a red mark on this one, all kinds of things. But anyway, 
Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. What does that mean? That means I love you so much, my friend, I'm going to rebuke you. Rather than just say, I love you so long, walk big circles around. Don't want to hear about her moving in there. Don't want to hear this, what they're doing. You know. Or do we love them enough to just confront them? Just tell them. And it's just in private. Go to them and tell them, do we love them that much? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs says, but deceitful are the kisses of the enemy. Are we faithful? Our sole purpose in confronting a brother or sister in the Lord is to restore them, to help them get right with the God, to help them get back right uh, on into the right path, onto the right path, the Living Bible says. Galatians 6.1, he says it very clearly. One of my favorite verses here, <clears throat> Galatians 6.1, if you don't have that one highlighted, well... I should mark. Anyway, I got it marked. Brethren, same guy. Paul writes the same thing in Galatians as he wrote 1 Corinthians. Same guy here. He says, brethren, he's talking to Christians here. Even if a man is caught in any trespass, any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to himself, the log, take the log out, lest you too be tempted. Here's what he said. A spirit of gentleness is the key here. How do we approach that brother or sister? And that spirit of gentleness. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 5 that we just read here a while ago. First take the log out of your brother's, out of your own eye, excuse me. First take the log out of your own eye, and then, I always have that, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So after you've humbled yourself, as James says in chapter 4, verse 10, humbled yourself and taken the log out of your own eye, then you are to proceed to talk to your brother or sister about his or her conduct. You're not to cop out of it just because say, who am I to say? Look at the problem I got. You know, if you take the log out of your own and you stop, no. The Lord has laid it upon your heart to speak to your brother or sister. Proceed to do that after you get your mind and your heart clear with God. Proceed. Don't cop out of it. Now that boils down, well, Proverbs 9, 8. Here's how it says, reprove a wise man and he will love you. Have you ever done that? Reproved a wise man, he'll love you. It just drives the roots a little farther. If they really, uh, you know, they're open to it, they they understand that you're doing it with a good heart, that you're doing it for the best of them. I remember reproving a guy. I didn't like it, but he kept talking about his dad in a negative uh, way. And I one day I said said to myself, I got to talk to him about it. Every time he talks about it, I said, you're not showing honor for your father here. And his boy got all red in the face. And I thought, well, that's the last time I'll see him. And uh, I know how to win friends and drive them away. And anyway, uh, but, you know, to this day, we're close, very close friends. And even though he's moved a long ways away, but we're very close friends. It all boils down to what James is saying here in chapter 4, verse 1. Be a doer of the law. This is a positive way to put it. Be a doer of the law and not a judge of it. 
<clears throat> what law is James referring to here? Roman, I mean, the royal law. Uh, he says in chapter 2, verse 8, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or as some of your Bibles might say, I was looking at the Living Bible, and it says, loving one another. Love your neighbor. To rebuke bad conduct of a brother or a sister is always governed by love for them. That's why you do it. We're to love our Christian and brothers and sisters in spite of their faults. If we want to be a doer of that law that James is talking about here, love your neighbor as yourself. God wants each of us to exercise the same love for other people as he has exercised for, uh, to us, for us. Think of the, for the moment. Just think for a moment. I've thought about this many times. What it would be like to look through some, the perfect eyes of God at imperfect people like you and me. I can't imagine what it would be like. And yet, we know the scripture says he loves us in spite of those faults. Praise God. I can't imagine what that would be like. But he loves us in spite of it. His love doesn't ignore the reality, does not ignore the reality of sin or condone it at in the moment. That's why you're convicted about it. That's why you can't sleep about it. That's why you're tossed and turned all night. Because you've got to get it right with the Lord. Praise God for conviction from his spirit, Holy Spirit. But instead of bringing us to the place of confessing, he wants us to confess and repent of that sin, to change. He's given us the power to do that through the Holy Spirit. He's put it in each one of our hearts. He's given us the power to do it. Don't say you can't do it. You can't if you don't know the Lord. But if you know the Lord, there's no excuse for it. Just, God, help me change. Help me not to criticize. Help me not to judge others, Lord. That's what he wants. And that's exactly what I did when I prepared this sermon. God, help me quit criticizing, quit judging people. I don't like it. I don't like to do it. I don't want to do it anymore, Lord. And that love should motivate us, that same love should motivate us to love other people, to love our neighbors as well as ourselves. Hello. We got a song here. We like to sing. I think I got this thing. You got that? Excuse me, what? Oh, you need some words? There you go. <clears throat> While Lou was coming up here, whoops, excuse me. While Lou was coming up here, like I said, I'm preparing this sermon. I had to confess it to the Lord. Lord, you know, I, I thought about what, uh, the way uh, uh, Paul put it. You who preach, you who preach about... Um, you know, stealing, do you steal? Do you preach about criticism and criticism and judgment? Do you criticize? Do you judge? Yeah, Lord, help me not to do it anymore. That's okay. Ready? Yeah, it's on. I think it's on. <clears throat> We can get it on.
you missed any of us today. Like the old preacher said, I didn't mean to hit anybody, but I didn't mean to miss anybody either. And uh, we just pray, God, that we'll take it to heart. Lord, we definitely need your strength in this area. At least I do. And I just pray, God, you'll help us guard our tongue. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to be more like Jesus to see the good in people and only speak of that, to not be critical, oh God. For you that perhaps would just like to confess in your own heart that you struggle with this sin, 
Maybe you'd like to pray your prayer similar right now. In the silence, speak to the Lord about your problem. And uh, we'll just wait a while. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. That's one thing exciting to me about Christian life, about the born-again life, is that, God, you hear our prayers, and you care about us. You want us to become more like your son, Jesus. So, Lord, help us to do that. Go with us today in the spirit of your of you, Lord. And, God, help us to remember that we are a witness how we treat others how we conduct ourselves from Sunday to Sunday after we get in that car and put down our Bibles. Do we treat other people right? How's our conduct? And God, give us the strength when we see a brother or sister use some language they shouldn't be using, tell some off-colored jokes that she shouldn't be telling, to cheating on somebody, cutting corners in their business. God, help us when we see others do that. See our brother or sister that were God give us the strength to confront them, not be shy about it, with the whole purpose of restoring them, of getting them back into the light, and back into the fellowship with you. Praise God that we can do that. Help us not to be too shy about it, God, because we want to remain pure in your sight. We want the Holy Spirit to shine through us, not to be hindered not to be quenched because of something we've said or done. God, thank you for each person here today. Go with them in a mighty way, Lord, and let the neighbors know. They don't have to even tell them. Let them know that there's something different here about them. And God, maybe they'll ask them, what makes you tick? How come you don't talk like I do? How come you don't speak against your neighbor like I do? And they'll, you have the opportunity, then we will have the opportunity to tell them about where we get our strength. It's from Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.